0: It's Dr. Kieran here. Welcome to Bridging Medical Paradigms. In the vast and varied landscape of medicine, from the traditional to the modern, the complementary to the conventional, all paired with shifts in societal, technological, and political trends, it is a tricky and tiring affair to keep on top of. My aim is to leave you feeling empowered in your engagement with healthcare, to mitigate unnecessary experiences, and aim for more positive outcomes. Let's get started. The physical activity guidelines introduced in episode 5 were the UK ones but this is a global action. Many countries have these along the same lines. They are a reference point wherever you are and I think they are a big deal in the vein of alerting the general public to start incorporating aerobic, strength, balance and flexibility exercises into their lives, as well as to reduce periods of inactivity. This is a different conversation from having to rest to recuperate. This is for everybody from tots to teenagers to over 65s, those with disabilities and women through pregnancy. We've gone over the value of these guidelines, more directly into aerobic and strength training, what differentiates the two, and the positive systemic adaptations they can have for fostering our bodies to run smoothly, as well as offsetting life stage related changes and degeneration, I will afford more time to balance and flexibility in some future episodes. It was also brought to the forefront in episode 5 that it seems that for the general public, the interrelationship of exercise and health is considered and becoming more of an important feature in life especially for it to become so much of a commodity but here I ask is this the whole picture? Let's look at some statistics. Taking the UK as an example the national statistics indicate that it is expected that by the year 2050 25% of the total population will be over the age of 65. From the Office for Health Improvement and Disparities, our population is around 20% less active than we were in the 1960s. If current trends continue, it will be 35% less active by 2030. Also, around 1 in 3, so around 34% of men, and 1 in 2, so around 42% of women, are not active enough for good health. We can then see how physical inactivity is associated with one in six deaths in the UK and is estimated to cost the UK 7.4 billion annually, including 0.9 billion to the NHS alone. What's concerning is that as reported by the World Health Organization, The combination of an inactive and ageing population is not only having implications for physical and mental health, but one's social well-being, disability and disease-free life expectancy and overall quality of life. It also has implications for, for our already overburdened healthcare systems, pension systems, economic development and the environment. It's a vicious cycle that is very much interrelated. You can take a look yourself and have a read of the WHO Global Action Plan on Physical Activity 2018-2030. In the wake of these and former activity guidelines, research has emerged looking at whether these guidelines are actually being met. To sum up, it seems that studies generally show that it's down to circumstance, education and attitudes of individuals and groups that determine this. For example, a 2022 article in the International Journal of Public Health Research titled A Lot of People Just Go for Walks and Don't Do Anything Else shows that when asked about the activity guidelines, most participants replied that they were aware of the basic aerobic guidelines with only a few being able to actually explain them. None of the participants mentioned the strength component in their initial unprompted response to the questions. When asked about strength training for those who believed that they were meeting the strength guidelines there was reference to walking as one of them. Now walking is brilliant but it's an aerobic activity at a sufficient pace. In the paper participants also described yoga and pilates as strength training. Now I don't want to couple these two together as they are quite different and both disciplines contain many different forms within themselves I need to get Kerry the Pilates expert in again but these do support strength through the incorporation of resistance training through body weight and more so for Pilates the additional use of other equipment such as small weights or resistance bands. The resistance is what helps build muscular strength stability and endurance as well as mobility and balance. Yoga and Pilates aren't, as the paper describes, just aerobic activities. However, remember in episodes 6-8, to we went over muscle functionality and what it takes to produce changes in our musculoskeletal system to offset degeneration, like sarcopenia. You need to be incorporating strength training principles, such as progressive overload for muscle growth, And if you're doing the same movements with the same resistance, for example, just body weight in your weekly vinyasa flow, you're not going to be fostering that muscle growth. You can do yoga, but you also need to incorporate a specific plan dedicated to strength training. In the paper, when told about the long-term effects of strength training, such as reducing falls, the younger independent cohort felt that this was irrelevant to them only identifying with becoming stronger, most probably meaning bigger muscles, but you know it's okay if it gets them to do it. The participants noted that aerobic exercise participation was easier because it required less skill and equipment to participate. Strength training was perceived to require exercise knowledge, motivation and equipment that most most of the participants just didn't have or they felt like they didn't have access to it. The traditional gym environment also didn't appeal to many of the older adults, especially females, acting as a major barrier to strength training participation. Participants commented, I don't want to go to a gym, I've never been, but when you look in, you know, they're all between 20 and 35, you know. I don't like the atmosphere and the structure of gyms, you know, that people are sort of making lots of grunting sound effects, or... Half the gym are sat there on their phones, so you're not actually working any muscles anyway. It seemed that ageism and strength training misconceptions were major barriers to participation in strengthening exercise. Interestingly, and not surprisingly, social support and accountability seem to be especially relevant to older adults. Strength training adherence has been shown to nearly double when it's performed in a group. Compared to an individual setting. older adults who feel safe, supported and motivated are more likely to challenge their self-limiting beliefs. So guys, if you're feeling demotivated about strength training, get some others involved for moral support. And if you have no one, start with joining a class. At the end of episode 8, I gave a number of ways to get involved. A 2020 paper on let's talk about physical activity, understanding the preferences of underserved communities when messaging physical activity guidelines to the public indicated that in general, those less likely to know the guidelines at all tended to be males who had a lower level of education, low income, lived in more deprived areas and did no physical activity. This was an illustration of health inequality. It also implied that low levels of physical activity are also the product of a complex adaptive system whereby the environments in which people live are designed in a way that promotes an inactive lifestyle from workplaces to transport options, educational settings for young people to the social groups with which we interact. Can you think of any environments or are you in an environment that you think promotes inactivity? I read a hilarious but serious article the other day on insider.com connecting an increase in hybrid work, so working from home, to there being a nationwide shortage of laxatives in America. The laxative are becoming a barren wasteland as many people fret when their next bowel movement will come. This is a multifaceted matter. It's not plausible to suggest that one has created the other. The article doesn't do that, by the way. The headline does to clickbait. But it does bear a fragment of truth in the sense that if you're working from home, do you fake a commute? Meaning, do you make an effort to move, fit in a workout, go for a run before you settle at your laptop? Or do you only travel to the bathroom, kitchen, repeat and then bed? This is an extreme example, but it can happen. If you're not moving, that can cause or lead to constipation. (laughs) Studies also show that there is a tendency for people to get less active as they age, especially in the older years. So we can see how this becomes problematic. And people with disabilities or long-term conditions are twice as likely not to be active enough for good health. I mean, for me personally, when I've had bouts of being ill, it has been a real mission to ease myself into a, to, into an exercise regime again, with concerns that it will floor me, that I'm going to be done for the day then. What about work? And then just having to build it up slowly whilst listening to my body. It is difficult. In my own family and friend circle, and with my patients, I can see a disparity in the awareness of the benefits and in actually doing strength training and aerobic exercise, the reasons are multifaceted, such as circumstance, living for the moment, life being stressful and packed, so there's no room to think about it, for the, you know, thinking about the future, or I'm fine right now, it's not impacting me in a big way, or that's not for me, I'll damage myself, I don't want to sweat, I'm too tired, I don't know where to start, it's too expensive, I don't have the right gear, I don't look the right way, or I'll do it another day, There needs to be foresight to look around, be observant, see people of all stages of life and circumstance and project. Think about how you want to be in say the next 10 years and then the next 30 years. This is by no means in a toxic or overbearing way but in a sustainable way and accomplished by listening to your body. It's about taking care of you, You being intentional. Remember I spoke about risk factors and pro-ageing. Exercise is not the only factor, but it's really instrumental to our overall well-being. Now, I don't want to get grim, but think about being in a hospital or care home or being prescribed a load of pharmaceutical drugs. I remember doing voluntary work in a care home when I was 16. It totally freaked me out and that this can be a reality the last years of life being confined to just sitting and struggling with movement. We've spoken here about self-accountability, but accountability also resides with the infrastructure that we operate in. There are those nationwide campaigns that have sought to increase public awareness of physical activity, its benefits and the associated guidelines, like change for life. But what we've learnt today is that it's evident that people are still missing out Policy makers, health and medical practitioners and those who work in the fitness industry, educational systems and workplaces really need to find ways to have clarity on how to engage the general public. This includes underserved community groups, those that are less educated as well as being open to educating and training a wider demographic. We have this knowledge, so need to dissipate it in a meaningful way to others. Otherwise, what's the point in having it? Okay, that's a wrap. Just some things to think about. And please don't follow the misinformed and potentially dangerous TikTok trend of taking laxatives to lose weight. There are more favourable and funner ways of, um, you know, managing your weight. Okay, take care and I'll see you next week. Bye.